Our sermon passage this morning is Proverbs chapter 13. So go ahead and take your time and find Proverbs chapter 13 in your Bible. As you're finding it, I'll remind you in the bulletin, the way we're using this little tear-off tab now is as a, a way for you to follow along the sermon and remember it during the week. So there's some just some questions there that might help you stay focused if my dynamic delivery doesn't do it. It'll help you stay focused. And then also something you can hang on to as a bookmark or on your refrigerator or something this week to help you remember to follow through on what you've heard today because we don't want to come and just be hearers only. We want to be doers of God's Word. So it's a a reminder that that tool is there for you in your bulletin. We're in Proverbs chapter 13, verses 7 through 11. These are slippery times, I find, not just literally because of the snow and ice, but there's so much going on. Do you feel like there's so much going on? It seems that way to me, and when I talk to people, everybody kind of seems to feel that way. During times like this, as at all times, we need the traction and direction that comes from God's really practical wisdom that we gain in his word. And so we're in Proverbs starting this year. Today, the focus will be the path of prosperity. That's the title of the sermon. It'll be some wisdom about wealth. And as I talk to such wealthy people, as I see before me today, I think this is going to be very applicable. Jeff set the stage for this really well last week. Uh, I don't know that he picked that passage knowing that this was where uh, I was heading with our Proverbs messages, but I hope you were able to hear his message last week on Facebook. But he set the stage so well, just reminding us that anything that you have been given has been given to you to use to increase God's kingdom. That's why it's been loaned out to you. You are a manager or a steward of resources that God has given to you to make use of for eternally significant purposes, to glorify the name of Jesus, to build up the kingdom of God, to minister and serve other people. That's why you have money. That's why you have clothes, stuff, homes, cars, jobs, time, energy, skills, All those resources have been loaned out to you to use to maximize for the kingdom. So I really appreciate that Jeff preached on that last week. This week, we'll think a little bit more about some details related to wealth. How do you think about wealth? You may never even think about wealth. We don't use that term very often. How do you think about your money, your stuff? How do you operate when it comes to comparisons with other people, when it comes to your resources? How do you think about the deeper character issues and how they relate to your wealth? How do you think about increasing wealth? Do you think that's good? Do you think that's bad? Is that something Christians ought to think about at all? If so, how, how should we go about it? Is it any different from how non-Christians go about increasing wealth? These are some of the details our passage will will get at. Some principles from Proverbs about wealth that'll be, like always in Proverbs, fairly straightforward. So I just want to read verses 7 through 11, and then we'll go back and look at it in three chunks. It's kind of a wisdom sandwich, as you'll see. See if you can discern the bread and the meat in the wisdom sandwich that God is giving us this morning. Proverbs chapter 13, beginning at verse 7. One pretends to be rich yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. 
The ransom of a man's life is his wealth, but a poor man hears no threat. The light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. By insolence comes nothing but strife, but with those who take advice is wisdom. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. So could you discern the bread and the meat in there? Maybe not. Maybe it might not be immediately apparent, but we'll see it as we go through. So let's scroll back up to verses 7 and 8. And the first point, the first slice of bread, first point is simply that things aren't always what they seem. When it comes to wealth, things aren't always what they seem. Let's look back at 7 and 8 again. One pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. Verse 8, the ransom of a man's life is his wealth, but a poor man hears no threat. So let's look back up to verse 7 here. There's a little bit of ambiguity in this verse. If you have a different translation than mine, it might have worded it a little bit differently. Mine, uh, the ESV says one pretends, another pretends. Yours may say one makes himself rich, another makes himself poor. There's a little bit of ambiguity about which way that word should be translated, and it does give it a slightly different shade of meaning depending on which way you go. If you translate it makes, it might mean that some people make themselves rich. They genuinely have a lot of money and yet are actually poor. They're actually empty or meaningless or miserable lives. Others make themselves poor. They purposely give away everything and thus become poor. And yet, even though they don't have a lot of stuff, in reality, they actually have great riches. It, it genuinely could mean that, and that's a, biblical, that's a biblically sound truth. That's especially exemplified in Jesus, who was rich and made himself poor, emptied himself in order to save us. The other shade of meaning with pretend is actually what I suspect it is, and since both are biblically sound ideas, I think it's legitimate to go either way. We're going to look at it in the sense of pretending. Translated this way, as the translators of the English Standard Version have, it means there are some who pretend to be rich when in reality they do not have riches. They try to look that way. And there are others who pretend to be poor, even though they actually do have a great deal. They try to look as if they didn't. One pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Not everyone who looks rich is rich. Not everyone who looks wealthy is actually wealthy. There are some who wear the, the very nicest, most expensive clothes, drive the very newest and best cars, and live in really fancy homes. And yet, if you knew their actual situation, you would see that they are in deep, deep debt and where it looks like they have such positive wealth, they actually have negative wealth. They, they owe. And they're living lives strung out by stress, trying to keep up with their bills. That is a thing that happens. Have any of you ever experienced that firsthand or know anyone that's in that condition? What are their names? No, I'm just kidding. See if you're actually paying any attention. Social media is a really powerful tool to try to look rich, even when you're not. I don't know any 
real social media influencers, but I do know some folks whose lives on Instagram look amazing, and yet I've been to their house, and I know what's on the other side of that picture behind the camera, and it looks just like my house. It looks just like your house. Their kids make the same messes. They have the same unfinished projects. They have the same issues, and sometimes more so. Don't believe what you see on carefully curated pictures on social media. Uh, don't do as, as some wise person has said, don't compare your uh, backstage to their front stage. A lot of people will try to look rich, yet aren't. One pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. Not everyone who looks poor is actually poor. I remember a book a long time ago coming out called The Millionaire Next Door. Has anyone ever heard of that book, The Millionaire Next Door? They did a study of actual real-life millionaires and found that the vast majority of them do not drive super fancy cars, do not wear super fancy clothes, and do not live in giant mansions. They actually live very humbly, and that's how they were able to amass their wealth. So the majority of actual millionaires live below their means. They're extremely frugal. They don't pay for image stuff, and they drive old cars. And pretending to be poor can actually be a way of getting out of poverty, as it turns out. And uh, the example I always think of with this is from the Cosby show, and just ignore all the, the freight that comes with the mention of Bill Cosby in the modern era, but the old Cosby show was good, and I remember an episode where he had to go buy a new car. And, you know, he was a, a doctor. Uh, Heathcliff Huxtable was a very wealthy man, but he dressed like a poor person, and he kind of shuffled into the car dealership to buy a car, and all the jokes were about people dropping by that recognize him and calling him doctor, and he didn't want the salesperson to know that he was a doctor. He wanted him to think that he was a poor person. Sometimes there's advantages to looking or being rich. Sometimes there's advantages to looking being poor. Verse 8, I think, kind of illustrates it. The ransom of a man's life is his wealth, but a poor man hears no threat. Wealth can get you out of a jam. Poverty can kind of be protective too, in a way. If you're really wealthy and you get kidnapped, you have money to pay the ransom. If you're really poor, nobody's very likely to kidnap you in the first place because they're not expecting to get much for ransom. If you're really wealthy, you can afford the very best lawyers to help you get out of jams and dodge taxes and all that. If you're poor, you probably don't even really need it. You don't really need an expensive lawyer to help you with sheltering your money. If you're wealthy, you can afford to secure your mansion with great home security. If you live in a shack, it's not really that much of a priority. Now, I have been blessed. We have been blessed with two family cars, uh, which is a huge blessing. Uh, one of those is a, a sedan, and it was kept up <laughs> miraculously well by uh, someone that is actually part of our church we, we bought it from, and it was like it came out of a museum about Toyota Camrys. It was perfect, and it still looks good, and it's a great car. And then I've got our minivan that I've had for much longer, and it is showing the wear and tear. The paint is peeling. The window tinting is peeling off. It, it looks like that car that you choose not to park right beside in the Walmart parking lot. Now, when I drive that car, I really, I barely even think to lock the doors because I don't think anybody's walking by that car thinking, 
they probably have some, a lot of cash stowed on, in, beneath the seat or something. I think what we have here, just based on my experience of Proverbs, is just an observation. Sometimes people are trying to look richer than they are. Sometimes people are trying not to show how rich they are. Sometimes there's advantages to looking wealthy. Sometimes there's advantages to not looking wealthy. Now, I think there is one application we can draw from this that'll be helpful, and that is simply just don't compare yourself to what it appears others have. Don't fall into that foolish trap of comparing yourself with the appearance of other people because you don't know the actual reality. And a lot of people do fall into that, and it becomes this mutually destructive cycle of people trying to keep up with one another, neither realizing that both parties are just going further and further in debt and further and further into financial disaster. I think a lot of young people especially have really lofty expectations for what kind of car they ought to drive, how they ought to dress, what kind of home they should get as their starter home because they're comparing with so many people on social media. But you don't know what all is behind that in reality. So for us as wise Christians, we want to follow the principles of wisdom God has given us, use our resources for God's kingdom, and just do our best with that. We don't want to look side to side at everybody else and try to keep up with them because that's a mirage. And we're prone to do it. I'll bet you're prone to do it just like I'll bet I'm prone to do it and everyone is. Who is it that you're tempted to compare your life to? Who's the last person that you looked at their life or their lifestyle and thought, man, I wish I had that? That must be nice. Who is it that tempts you to stretch a little beyond your means in order to keep up with them? Beware. It is dangerous and it is foolish. Don't focus on appearances. Focus on substance, which brings us to the next section. This is the meat of the sandwich. So that was just one little piece of bread, a practical word of wisdom about wealth. Now we get to the real meat of the sandwich here, verses 9 and 10. The good life is not about trying to keep up an appearance of wealth or keep up with other people's appearances of wealth. The good life is about righteousness and wisdom found in Jesus Christ. Let's look at verses 9 and 10. The light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. By insolence comes nothing but strife, but with those who take advice is wisdom. Now let's go back up to verse 9 and think through this just a little bit. Light and lamp, these are common images in the Bible to refer to life. Righteous people who have been made righteous through faith in Jesus Christ tend to increasingly live and practice God's good ways, his right ways, and life tends to go better because of that, which leads to rejoicing and joy. Wicked people, those who are left in their sins, have not been forgiven and transformed through faith in Jesus Christ, tend to twist God's good ways into distorted, wicked ways that bring about bad consequences. Life tends to go worse. The lamp tends to get snuffed out. If you want a light that rejoices, a life of rejoicing, don't focus on wealth, especially not the appearance of wealth. Focus on the righteousness and wisdom that God offers to us through faith in Jesus Christ. There are many wicked, foolish people who have become materially wealthy, 
and yet have remained miserable and then died and spent eternity in hell. Their lamp will be put out. Look at verse 10. I think it's kind of a specific example. By insolence comes nothing but strife, but with those who take advice is wisdom. Insolence means pride, arrogance, overconfidence. You ever know anyone who's wealthy to also be insolent? Sometimes they, they coincide with each other. People that won't take advice, that's what the contrast is. By insolence comes nothing but strife. Would you rather have great wealth, but a lot of strife, a lot of contention, a lot of conflict with all the people in your life? Or would you rather have just what you need and peaceful relationships with the people around you? Which one would you rather have? Like, really think about it. If, if uh, you had somebody who could make all your dreams come true give you that offer, which one would you choose? I hope you would choose the latter. Just give me what I need, clothes on my back, food, what I need to provide for my household, and let me have peace with God and man. A lot of people make the opposite choice, and they forsake peace with God and man, and they instead choose material wealth. That's not what we will do as wise Christians. Now that we're getting this straight about the deeper character matters that are more important than wealth or the appearance of wealth, we're ready for the last piece of bread, the last little bit of practical advice related to wealth. We're not comparing with other people because we know that it's not always what it seems when we see their seeming wealth. We're focusing on righteousness and wisdom through faith in Jesus, not wealth or the appearance of wealth. Now we're ready to start thinking about increasing wealth. It's not wrong to think about increasing wealth. Proverbs has a lot to say about it. As long as you keep the right character beneath it and the right goal above it, it's only to be used for increasing God's kingdom and his glory. So the last bit here, verse 11, we will see just one more practical word of advice about wealth. Increase it little by little. Increase your wealth little by little. Verse 11. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Wealth can either dwindle or increase. Wealth gained hastily tends to dwindle. Hastily here means wealth is gained either dishonestly or vainly from nothing. Wealth that has come easily Wealth that just fell into your lap or was given to you, especially wealth that was stolen. Some big windfalls of wealth tend to dwindle. And I think you can look at statistics of people who've won the lottery and see that bear itself out. Don't fall for get-rich-quick schemes. Wise Christians don't, are not attracted to that because they know that that kind of wealth tends to dwindle. Uh, don't bank everything on hoping for a big inheritance. Now, I've talked to many who are just kind of holding out, subsisting on government assistance because they think they've got a relative they think is going to die soon and that they're going to get this windfall from an inheritance. Don't uh, get all excited about passive income schemes where if you just put in an hour a week, you'll gain all this income. That's not how wise Christians think about wealth. That kind of wealth tends to dwindle. Wise Christians gather and increase wealth little by little through good, hard work. That's the simple, wise Christian way to increase wealth. It's not wrong to increase wealth, 
this is how you would do it if this is something you feel you want to apply yourself to for God's glory and for his kingdom. Consistent, good work plus time usually results in a gradual increase of wealth. This is just general principle in the world as God created it, how he designed it to work. You're probably not going to get rich quick. Now, it's just that really doesn't really much happen. But if you will consistently do good work over a long period of time, you can increase your resources. And then you'll have more resources to use for God's glory and for the kingdom, which is good. So simply put, just let's be good at work. Let's show up to work. There's a great worker shortage going on. You see the people hiring everywhere. Christians should flood into these positions. We, we love to work as Christians. Work is good. It honors God. It helps people. It gives us resources to use for the kingdom. It helps us to not have to be dependent upon others, but to instead be able to give generously to others. So as Christians, just simply put, let's show up to work and work hard and work well. Let's budget our money carefully because it's been given to us as stewards to use for God's kingdom. Let's not spend frivolously or recklessly. It's important what we do with it. Let's live within our means. Let's spend wisely. And little by little, Lord willing, we'll see our wealth gradually increase so we have more to use for the kingdom. Generally speaking, this is how it works for Christians in this world. So we have more to give, more to support missionaries, more to help people in need, more to serve others, more to invest in kingdom, eternal, beneficial things. We want to be wise Christians. We want to eat this entire wisdom sandwich we've been given this morning. We don't want to compare ourselves to others because we know it's not always what it seems. We don't want to focus on wealth or the appearance of wealth. We want to focus on the righteousness and wisdom that God gives to us through faith in Jesus Christ. And where we do increase our wealth, we expect that that'll be done little by little through good, hard work over a long period of time. That's how God's designed it. All the while, we'll remember that whatever we have has been given to us to manage for God's glory and the increase of his kingdom. He is the source of it. He is the goal of it. That's how we think about wealth. He is the one who sustains us. He is the one that that grants us uh, our needs fulfilled and our desires through what he ordains. He's the one who prospers our work. He's the one who gives us jobs. He's the one who gives us health to work well, opportunities, relationships. All of it comes from him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this simple, practical, helpful, soul-nourishing, useful wisdom. Lord, let us make use of it even this week. Let us honor you in the way we think about wealth. Let us honor you in the way we perceive the world around us. Let us honor you by receiving your righteousness and wisdom through faith in Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.